With all the talk these days about misinformation and disinformation and fact-checking, we have to remember that we are our own fact-checkers. It's up to us individually to decide what is real, what is slanted, or what is just downright out to lunch wrong. This is why we have a mind in the first place. We were given this mind so that we could use it and not abdicate that responsibility and assign it to a third party. You're listening to the This Light Shines podcast. Episode 5. The Truth About Lies. Why do good people lie? Have you ever noticed how children are naturally honest. Children are naturally honest, and at some point in life, we learn to lie. It's something we learn. It does not come naturally. And I, in fact, remember the first lie I ever told. And so that's where we're going to start this one off today. The story of the first lie I ever told. I don't remember exactly how old I was. It could have been five or six. It was right in that area. Me and my brother and my sister were growing up on a rural property. It was partly farm, partly forested. Every year, my dad would get out the little tractor and plow up the garden areas. There was just enough clay in the soil that it would stick together into these lumps, and it would dry out in the sun. And my brother and I discovered that if you picked up these lumps and you threw them at something, that they would explode into this ball of dust. And in our childhood imaginations, it was like hand grenades going off and stuff. My brother and I developed a little game. We would go out and we'd gather up a supply of these dirt lumps, some of which I guess had rocks embedded in them. We'd go out in the forest and we'd throw them at each other. It was a delightful game. We had a lot of fun until one day, and I think you know where this is going. I was in the process of sticking my head out from behind a tree to try to get a fix on where my brother was. And one of these lumps caught me right in the side of the head. And this one must have had a rock in it, because the next thing I remember, I was looking up at the sky. If you've ever had a scalp wound, you'll know that they tend to bleed a lot. They, they bleed rather profusely. So there it was, flat on my back, blood coming out of my head. And my brother and sister come over and get me up and we start walking back home to see mom and get some first aid. On the way there, back to the house, my brother and sister say, well, you better tell mom that you were uh, running down the path from the pond and fell down and hit your head. And that is what I told her. It felt wrong. It did feel wrong. But at the same time, I knew that should have been done because if my father found out what really happened, my brother would have been in for a big-time ass-whooping. <laughs> and, I mean, there wasn't even a 1% chance that it wouldn't happen. And so... uh This way, um, my brother was saved from that big-time ass-whooping, and 
Somehow, despite our tender years, my brother and I figured out all by ourselves that, you know, maybe this war game wasn't such a good idea after all. And so we figured that one out on our own. No last weapon required. And interestingly, at least for me, interestingly, the story doesn't quite end there. Because something happened after that. I started getting a recurring dream. And in this dream, I could see myself. I was running down the path from the pond. And I tripped and I would fall and bang my head on a rock and be startled awake. In hindsight, I find that fascinating because I was living out the lie that I had told. It's as though my conscience was speaking to me through that dream. In that story, we can see the motivation. We can see the motivation for lying in there. When you're in an environment where there's harsh and arbitrary punishment, and that's combined with a sense of powerlessness when it comes to changing that, people will lie in order to avoid that injustice. Well, it's certainly true that two wrongs don't make a right. When you're in a situation where one of those wrongs is beyond your power to change, people will sometimes reach into the box of lies to try to change the outcome of that situation. You could describe it as lying as a means of self-defense. And I think that's true in environments on a much larger scale than just families. You can certainly find it in corporate cultures. I've had the experience of working in places where I swear the whole place ran on both. But anyway, we could even go another step out. We could go out to more of a a national level, a, a societal level, and see that if we're in an environment where governments are harsh and oppressive, the likelihood and frequency of dishonesty is going to increase substantially. What is the impact of that? Certainly, one of the impacts is going to be economic. When people are telling stories to make it seem like the job has been done correctly, but it hasn't, that's going to have knock-on effects. But there's other reasons why people lie. And some of them are a little stranger than you might think. And one of these mechanisms that drive people to be dishonest, that is a little stranger than you might think, was brought out for public view many years ago in something called the Solomon Ash Conformity Experiment. And This is very well documented, and I will leave a link in the show notes to a video on the subject. If you're not familiar with the Solomon Ash Conformity Experiment, I highly recommend you watch that video. It will give you food for thought. In this experiment, we'd have 
five test subjects sitting at a table, and they had a very simple task put to them. They would be shown four different lines. They had to choose the line that was the same length as the first line. So they'd call out one, two, or three, whichever they thought was the correct answer. Now, unbeknownst to our test subject, the other four test subjects were actually actors. And they'd go down the line of people in sequence, and our test subject was somewhere in the middle or towards the end. And the actors would intentionally choose the incorrect answer. And after some initial confusion, our test subject just went with the majority view, even though his eyes were telling him something different. And what this brings out, and it's a little frightening in a sense, is that we will lie in order to get along. In a sense, we're like herd animals, and we want to get along with everybody around us, and we will say things that we know are incorrect, but we don't want to stand out. We want to conform. We want to fit in and be like everyone else. And that this is somehow an inbuilt mechanism in human beings, that this is part of our makeup. This is a dangerous thing, actually, because if people are conditioned to look, say, at the mainstream media as being the great communicators of the majority view, then that's putting a whole lot of power into very few hands. Because if you're not one of those black sheep who's going to stand up and say, line three is obviously the answer, not line one, what is wrong with you people? Then what happens is whoever dictates the impression of a majority viewpoint, that foregone conclusion that other people's minds are made up in a certain way on a certain issue, then let's face it, most people are just going to go along with what they see and interpret as being the majority view, even if it is obviously incorrect. And where does that lead us to? And where it leads us to is tyranny. What would such a tyranny look like? How would you see it beginning to develop in advance? Certainly, one thing you would see is those who have the power of shaping people's perception. They would want to keep down any competition. So, what you're going to see then is a limiting of free speech. You're going to see a centralization of media power, media ownership, and competitors, upstarts, are going to be vilified. They will use that perception mechanism to try to make them look like bad guys. You'll also see the worst examples of free speech 
pulled out as being evidence that free speech must be limited in certain ways. I don't know about you, but I see these things happening right now here in Canada and many other Western countries. I don't really see any exceptions standing out. The same process seems to be playing itself out around the Western world. And so if we want a better future for ourselves and the younger generations, how do we address this? How do we fix it? How do we make progress instead of lose ground? I can only tell you that it all begins with courage. The courage to be honest, to stand up in front of that crowd and say, line three is obviously the correct answer, not line one. It's obvious. We were given our minds for a reason. Have faith in yourself. To have faith in yourself, in your own judgment, is not a crime. Not just yet, anyway. Not just yet. But if we don't have the courage to stand up for ourselves, then that time will come. And through complacency, we play a hand in the development of that future. Each one of us individually owns ourselves. And when we hand the keys of our car over to a thief, it's only done under extraordinary circumstances. Why would you hand the keys to your mind over to a third party? Think for yourself and speak freely. No one can take it away from you when you've already done it. You've been listening to the This Light Shines podcast. You can find all of our content as well as leave your feedback at thislightshines.net. If you enjoy this podcast, if you get something out of it, support us. Click on that heart icon on your podcast player or click on the support link in the show notes. Thank you for listening and as always, God bless.